Well, I've always been a little bit slow, so um, I'm not quite in the Christmas spirit yet. I know we've been singing songs since fall about Christmas, you know, since Thanksgiving time, but uh, I'm going to be in the spirit next week, I promise. So today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. Next week, I'm going to be in the Christmas spirit because we're going to start the gospel according to Matthew. So it just works out. Why would I want to stop and start again? Matthew chapter 1 next week. I brought a prop with me to remind me to say I'm starting Matthew next week. Those of you who like journaling and like journals, we'll have these in the bookstore. Um, now they even have them with coloring and designs in them. See, I'm the boring guy. I like this kind. If you like flowers and mustard seeds, that's what these are. You can get these kind. If you can't see what I'm holding, you should sit closer to the front. (laughs) I actually really like these ESV journals. There's scripture on one side with lots of space and blanks on the other side just to interact and engage. It's what I use all week long. Some of you like to take sermon notes that way. So again, this one's free for the asking because I like boring. So anybody who wants this after the service, don't rush to the stage. But you can have that one. Um, Craig's closest, so he might get it. (laughs) Matthew chapter 1, you shall name him, you shall call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's what Matthew is all about. Jesus has come as the great saving king and we'll spend a fair amount of time glorying in the gloriousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to save his people from their sins. That's why he was born. That's why he was here. It's why he died. The whole story is ultimately about that. Can't wait for next week. Matthew chapter 1. Well, 2 Corinthians uh, is the book we're in this morning. We're going to end our study of 2 Corinthians. So if you're just joining us, you came at the right time. You're going to get the recap. Um, but it's a very interesting uh, letter from the Apostle Paul, who's known as the Apostle of Love. And at times, it doesn't seem very loving, but it's because he loves believers so much and loves people so much and loves Christ so much that he hates to see them harmed. And so we're going to be in Second Corinthians learning about that this morning. Um, if you're still trying to find that book, let me open with an introduction or illustration. Almost everyone here has probably seen a church sign that says, everyone welcome. Whether it be in the yard of the church, or whether it be on their social media page or pages, everyone welcome, right? Most of us have seen a sign like that. There are lots of them. Second Corinthians is like a memo to the church at Corinth. And it's a four-word memo. And the four-word memo says this, Take down the sign. Kind of harsh, right? Kind of in your face. But you could summarize the letter as being that. Take down the sign. In other words, Corinthian Christians, not everyone is welcome. Because you've been so tolerant, and sometimes tolerance is good. I'm glad we're tolerant on certain levels. Tolerance is definitely a virtue in certain settings. But tolerance can also be very dangerous. The church has been so tolerant that they've allowed those who come to come in and stay in who preach, the Bible says, a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. So they've, they've hijacked Christian vocabulary and they're using Christian vocabulary and they're teaching things that are not Christian. And this open and affirming, everything kind of goes because everyone welcome actually doesn't work if we're talking about those who tell lies about Jesus and hurt people in the end. So again, hard-hitting, I know, 
but true nevertheless. And so that's really the taste of what we're going to get in chapter 13. It's a warning. Okay, the whole book hasn't been this hard-hitting, um, but the la- uh, chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13 are pretty, pretty, um, pretty strong. Strong but good, right? I like black coffee. Strong but good. I like, yeah, right? <laughs> I like dark chocolate. Strong but good. Now, I've lost some of you already, right? Um, Diamonds, right? Diamonds. We can all agree they're beautiful, but they are extremely, extremely, extremely strong. Okay, so this is a a strong but good chapter. It's a strong but good letter because after all, we're trying to, to protect people. Okay, we're trying to protect people's souls and we're also trying to protect the glory of Christ. And that's really what's going on. So in this warning, I'm going to highlight five features. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to highlight five features of this warning in chapter 13 that hopefully will give us a bit of a takeaway. Feature number one is a call for removal. It's a call for removal. I'm glad you all are sitting or most of you are sitting by now because you want to be sitting, sitting for this. The apostle of love says in verse one, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's legal talk. I'll say more about it in a second. Then verse 2, hang on to your hats. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. And I'm sorry I didn't read it strong enough. I will not spare them. He talks about evidence of two or three witnesses. He, he's borrowing from the Old Testament law, uh, from Deuteronomy. Uh, we've heard Jesus use similar terms in Matthew chapter 18 when he's talking about church discipline. There needs to, be, it has to be done in, in other words, in an orderly way. In other words, this isn't based upon hearsay. This isn't based upon a rumor. This isn't based upon questionable information. Um, this is proven true. It's proven true that there are those who say they're Christians and they're Christian teachers. In fact, they're even claiming to be apostles with authority. And what they're telling are lies. Okay? They're, they're denying the truth about Christ. They're denying the basics about the gospel. This is not like in Philippians where preachers preach the true Christ with wrong motives. Paul says in Philippians, who cares? I don't care if they're preaching to try to hurt me. As long as they're preaching the true gospel, go for it. This is not that. This is, they're telling lies about Jesus and people are believing them as the truth. And so he calls for their removal. Okay, Okay? it's very strong, but very significant and important. And do notice that it's because of sin. It is because of sin, our text tells us. Again, by way of review, if you haven't been here on earlier weeks, which is fine, but just so you can not take my word for it. Second uh, Corinthians 11 verse 4, they proclaim another Jesus. Uh, they proclaim a different spirit. They proclaim uh, a, a different gospel. And so that's what's at stake. That's why it's so important. I should stop and say different Jesus, different spirit, different gospel. The gospel means good news. And it's the good news about what God has done in Christ. Okay, so it's, it's, it's shorthand for all that Christ has done. Okay? It's good news to us to hear that we can be forgiven our sins. We've sinned against God. We haven't done what He's required. So, and the Bible says that's, that's worthy of condemnation, okay? not acceptance. 
So we stand before God not in a good spot. The gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners. That he freely, not, not, not free to Christ because of all that he did, but freely to us. And if we trust in Christ, we can be forgiven, we can be accepted, we can be reconciled to God, we can be justified, we can receive all these good things in a good relationship with God, in other words. Not based upon what we do, not based upon a partnership, not based upon God does His part, we do our part, not based upon God helps those who help themselves. No, it's good news that Christ has risen from the dead and He's done so on our behalf. Okay, That's what gospel means. It's good news to us. Jesus said while he was here on earth, come to me all who are weary, right? And burdened. One translation says heavy laden. It's all of this more religion, more stuff, more, more attendances, more things you gotta do. That's the context. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Not as in a good night's sleep, but as in I can rest in Christ because he's going to do it for me. Again, Matthew chapter 1. Call him Jesus because Jesus means Savior. Call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's the Savior. He's not the enabler. Okay? He's not the empowerer so you can eventually do it. No, he's the one who delivers. He rescues. I didn't want to take it for granted that we all knew what we were talking about there. This is why it's so important that the Apostle Paul is doing a good fight. Because people who pervert that and twist that and change that need to be put out. They need to be silenced because they're hurting people. And even if that doesn't really settle well with you, by, by analogy and by illustration, surely you can understand. When, when evil, wicked, we can all agree, sinful people do things to hurt small children, they need to be stopped because it's awful and it's heinous and it's unthinkable. Stop them at all costs. Well, here are spiritual perverts. And that's not too strong. Not leading people to eternal life, but leading to them to, through another gospel to condemnation. Stop them! I'll put them out if you don't kind of thing. It's intense. Well, I'd love to take the time to go back to chapter 3 and learn more about this new covenant great reality about Christ and what he's done, uh, contrasting a ministry of condemnation with a ministry of righteousness. I'd love to go to chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, and recap what gospel is and what it's all about. We're not going to do that this morning, but if you want to take the time to see the positive, it's so great what Christ has done, read chapter 3. It's so great what Christ has done, read chapter 5 that we can be accepted by God freely if we trust in Him. That's what's being undermined. That's what's being attacked. Not by atheists. I would say atheists welcome here. More than I would say, welcome here those of you who say you're Christians and promote a false Christ. Because that's deception. Okay, can we move on? Otherwise we won't get done and then I have one more week not in the Christmas spirit, right? We've got to get to Matthew. So let's keep things moving. The next feature of this final warning is a rethinking of power and weakness. A rethinking of power and weakness or about power and weakness. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's integrity is being attacked by these false apostles because he's weak. He's physically weak. He's not talking in flowery language like the great philosophers are. 
footnote, even though he could have. You know, he's weak. He's not wealthy. You know, as I joked before, he doesn't have as fast a camels as the rest of us televangelists. I mean, whatever, you know, in our day, he's not driving the, the, the Bentley or the Rolls Royce because if God were really on his side, boy, he would be powerful. It's that they were accusing him of having a wrong message because he himself didn't seem to be powerful. And Christians, even in our day, get confused about this. Power versus weakness. If I'm weak, God must be against me. Some people even preach that kind of thing. But if I'm strong, it's proof of God's blessing. And Christians get confused about this. They were confused then. So this warning includes a recalibrating. We've got to rethink this. We've got to think rightly about weakness and strength. And here we go in verse, well, actually back to verse 2, just a little ways. Back in, at the end of verse 2, if I come again, I will not spare them. Verse 3, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. Figuratively speaking, guns a-blazing. Oh, you you want to see power? You attack me for not being powerful? If I show up and you haven't dealt with this issue, you're going to see power all right. Right? Trigger warning. (laughs) Wow. You want to see me raise my voice? Yeah, that's the, the essence of what he's saying. Then he goes on. He, verse, verse 3 goes on, He, referring to Christ, is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For He was crucified in weakness. Oh, think about Jesus. When you have to recalibrate your thinking about weakness and strength. Oh, he, for He was crucified in weakness. So it must not, I put my finger there for a second, it must not be altogether bad to be weak. But lives by the power of God. Probably resurrection power is what he's getting at. So yes, there's weakness, crucifixion. He was crucified in one sense. Uh, It's super weak, right? They killed him. They crucified him. But he was resurrected in power, ultimate power. Nobody has that kind of power. It's the extraordinary kind of power. I meant to start with a trick question. Is Jesus weak or strong? Yeah, it's yes. It's a false choice. Trick question. But I already told you that so you knew. The weakest of the weak, voluntarily for our benefit, strongest of the strong, overcame the grave. So Christians have to think sometimes in different nuances might be the word, different senses. Are Christians weak? Yeah. Sin-cursed world, fallen world, gravity's against us. Life is hard, injustice, persecution, We're weak. We don't save ourselves. But in other senses, we're strong because if we're united to Christ, we're guaranteed resurrection. We're strong because we we, we can know true true from from, from wrong. We're strong because we have a hope and a confidence in the resurrected one. We have uh, a confidence in in, in being accepted by God. And we have a message that doesn't need to change. And it's life-giving and hope-giving. And we can be strong and have confidence. So Paul is saying, you guys are confused about strength and weakness. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. It's a both and in different senses. Don't get power wrong when it comes to being a Christian. You have a powerful message. You have a powerful Christ. You can boldly tell people the truth. 
powerfully, hopefully humbly, because it's not because of you're so smart or I'm so smart, but we can have power. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're powerful in a temporal sense. And Christians, again, get confused, 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 confused about this one. I watched a video, it just came up in my YouTube feed the other day, and it came up because of something else I watched, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. It was maybe, I don't know, five or so years ago um, with some, some powerful evangelicals, popular evangelicals, um, Bible-believing evangelicals, big, big hitters. Uh, I've, at least one of, I've, I've, bought, I've purchased at least one of their books, multiple books by one of them. And I can't remember how many of them were on the panel. These are the theological bigwigs. I mean, they're having their, their powwow and they're talking about different issues. And these are, again, power hitters in evangelicalism. And I, I think half of them have come to a place in one way or another, they've disqualified themselves from pastoral ministry. Some because of their denial of the gospel because they've been found out and they're not making money off of it anymore. Some of them for other reasons. It was bizarre to watch, just to go, huh. Power. Buildings with their names on them, right? Making millions of dollars. God's blessing, so successful. It's it's eye-opening. It was convicting to me, I thought. Truth is truth no matter who says it. If God spoke through Balaam's donkey, not quoting King James, he'll speak through all kinds of different people, even if they now deny the faith. But we've got to have a right calibrating in our minds about power and weakness, or, or we're going to be suckers. Right? We're going to be easily duped. I don't think King James uses that word either. We did say stupid from the pulpit today, and I kind of like that. (laughs) Psalm 92. I digress. Sorry. Let's move on to a third feature of this warning. It ends on a high note, by the way, and a nice note. So if you're waiting for that, we'll get there. But the third feature of this final warning in 2 Corinthians 13, uh, we can have it be one word, examination. He wants them to examine themselves. Okay, so there is going to be a test at the end. And here's the test. Verse 5, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And to that, I kind of go, w- 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 what? I kind of want to say, how, how, how dare you? How, how, how dare you question the sincerity of, of my Christianity? But he's at the point where he says, it's test time. It's examination time. You need to examine yourself to see whether you're what? In the faith. Okay. So the faith is shorthand, again, for what he's been laying out regarding Christ, what Christ laid out regarding himself, what the whole Bible teaches about Christ. Are you in the faith? Do you belong to biblical, authentic, genuine, not faker, genuine Christianity? 
Are you in the faith? Okay. Faith means trust. We trust in, not ourselves, but we trust in Christ and His finished work. Okay? So are you in the faith? Or are you outside of the faith? Right? This isn't, this isn't difficult. Like I like to say on Sesame Street, right? Is the circle in the box? Or is it out of the box? Right? Are you in the faith? Or are you outside of the faith? Now let's at least notice here, it's possible, these people say they're Christians, and it's possible to say you're a Christian, even a Christian leader who looks famous even, and to be outside of the box. And again, you might be thinking, how dare you question my truth? Well, it's not your truth as we're going to see in just a little while. It's the faith. Okay, so it's possible to be in the faith because I'm trusting in the finished work of Christ. But it's also possible to be outside of the faith. And he wants all of those Christians in Corinth to do the, to do the self-test. Super helpful. Super important. Super good. Are you a genuine Christian or not? Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 5 says, Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. True Christians... Don't miss this. Have the true Christ. One of my kids said to me the other day, Pat, or Pat, they didn't say Pat, they said, Dad. (laughs) Now you know I'm lying. He said, Dad, we think you say something too often from the pulpit. I said, okay, what's that? Am I going too fast for you? So I won't do it today. True Christians have the true Christ. That's what he's saying. I mean, this is super basic, super simple. But it really, really is profound. There are other Christs who aren't the real Christ. They're the Christ of our imagination. They're the Christ of somebody's sales tactics. They're the Christ of, 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 of tradition or whatever it might be, consensus. But there are those who, who are true Christians. They have the true Christ, the one who came and did everything right, the one who came and was crucified as a substitute, a willing sacrifice on the cross, absorbing the condemnation of God, just condemnation of God that we deserve. He didn't deserve the just for the unjust. And he satisfied God's justice. He propitiated, if you want to use the big fancy word, atoned, right? And he was bodily raised from the dead so eyewitnesses could see. He himself explained the meaning of what he did so it's not up to us to try to figure out based upon something else or someone else. True Christians have the true Christ. If you don't have the true Christ, you're not a true Christian. Right? As years and years and years ago, as Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, what a cool name. Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, his student, Jay Gresham Machen, said when they carried Dr. Warfield's body out of, I think, Nassau Hall on Princeton's campus, it was symbolic and emblematic that the seminary died. B.B. Warfield, Benjamin Beckin, Benjamin Breckenridge, what a cool, man, I want to. He essentially said, free country, you can start your own religion, I wouldn't advise it, 
but the name Christian is taken. So you want to deny the deity of Christ? You want to deny the humanity of Christ? You want to deny the resurrection? You want to deny the virgin conception? You want to deny salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? Blah, 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 all the other important things that aren't blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Go for it. It's not Christian. And to tolerate people who say it's Christian is wrong. As I said last week, there would be no Christmas. It would have no meaning. So this is a Christmas sermon. I feel so much better. (laughs) True Christians are those who have the true Christ. The one who is Jesus. The one who came to save his people from their sins. Not to make us savable. Not to meet us in the middle. Not to build our pride. Some pass the test. Others don't pass the test. Verse 6 says, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. He's just saying, I hope you come over to my side of things. I, I, I passed the test. I've not been coloring outside of the lines. Using my creative imagination theologically. I've been echoing Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 1. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus by the will of God. That's what's been happening. I hope you will see that. Verse 7 says, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. And doing wrong would be saying the wrong thing about Jesus. Affirming the wrong thing. Affirming the wrong teachers. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. Not wrong, but right. Though we may seem to have failed. That's a, that's a, a, a tough one as far as trying to sort out what is he getting at? What's he working his way through? What's, how it's happening here? I, I think what he's saying, the gist of it, and others would agree, just for a moment, take me out of the equation. It's not about the personality. It's not about me. It's not about winning you over to my Paul, the apostle, apostolic team. Here's your jersey. Just, just take me out of it. Really what I'm looking for here is for you to not be wrong about the gospel. Really what I'm looking for here is for you to be right about the gospel. Now, other places in the letter, he's arguing for his authenticity. Because if he's preaching the true Christ, then you should accept him. But for, for this moment, he seems to, to digress and say, I just want you to do what's right. And I want you to avoid what's wrong. It's not about anything more important than that. Can we move on? I, I love this kind of text. I love, love, love this kind of text. Not because I like harshness. But I do love Christ and I love the gospel. And I love, love, love when I get to see people experience what I experienced. And by the grace of God, the light bulb goes off. And you're like, oh. I got it. Indeed, it's true as the song says. Jesus paid it all. I can rest in Him and now live my life out of gratitude unto Him, not payment to buy my way in. There's nothing better than that. In fact, the Bible even says in 1 Corinthians, it's of first importance. And so I love texts like this because I know there are a lot of theological perverts prowling around. And I hate them. 
I do. God says, he, the psalmist says in Psalm 5, he hates the wicked every day. So in good Christian fashion, I hate them because I love Christ and I love sinners and I want to see sinners helped by the grace of God. And so that's why I love texts like this. It's a black coffee text. It's a dark chocolate text. It's a diamond text. Okay, we can all agree. I hope. If you don't like diamonds, we have a special class for you. Um, I've never owned one and I like them. Strong, beautiful, powerful, because we're trying to do something beautiful and powerful. Proclaim the good news about Christ and keep it good news. Let's move on now to more about this relatedly. Let's go to number four. The fourth feature, aspect, number four, embracing true authority for good. Embracing true authority for good. It says in verse 8, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong for your restoration. Restoration, ah, that's what we're looking for. That's good. Your restoration is what we pray for. Then verse 10 says, For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Embracing authority for restoration, for good, right? For the positive. I want you to embrace not these guys who say they're authorities, these false teachers, who, by the way, earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about if they punch you in the face, you like it. It's so confusing. It's so crazy that we, we, oh, what I want to do is I love to listen to teachers who tell me if I just do more, try harder, eventually I'll earn my way to heaven. It's so great. Good news. What kind of idiot would say that's good news? The kind that says, punch me in the face again. I like it. It's so nonsensical. It's crazy. The apostle Paul here is saying, you're listening to that kind of authority? They're claiming that God told them that? No. Embrace true authority that actually comes from Christ. It's good news. Christ is the fulfillment of the new covenant. It comes to you freely. It came to him at great cost. Receive it freely as a gift. It's amazing. The right kind of authority. And the authority, again, here isn't for... Notice at the end of verse 10, uh, it's not for tearing down. False teachers are all about tearing you down. The truth gospel proclaimer is building you up spiritually. You, you, you have everything you need in Christ. It's edifying. It's positive. It's good. It's the best. I hope you noticed it says the truth. So we have the truth in verse 8. The truth. Again, another way of saying the gospel. But do notice it's It's objective. We're not the first culture to be pluralistic, religiously, when it comes to spirituality. Corinth would have been that way. They probably wouldn't use the same vocabulary. I know they wouldn't have used the same vocabulary. But because of all the many gods, 
it would have been appropriate, it would have been appropriate for them to talk like us and say, well, I have my truth. And somebody else who has a different God says, well, I have my truth. Isn't it good we can both have our truth? Why don't you write a poem about your truth and I'll write a poem about my truth. And we're both right. The Apostle Paul is saying, the truth, the truth about Christ. You're either inside the box or you're outside of the box, right? We're talking about objectivity. We're talking about Jesus being born of a woman. Oh, real time, history, real place. Doing real things. And as I always say, and I'm going to keep saying, and he spoke and interpreted it so there would be no lack of clarity about what it meant. He who said he is the truth. And so now all of a sudden the Apostle Paul, how dare he? Well, again, if Christ is true and Christ really came here and Christ really spoke and Christ really saved him, he's going to do it. And he's going to say all the other stuff is not true. He used the word earlier. He used the word wrong. So let's just have a little come to Jesus meeting because this is countercultural. But before it's countercultural, it's counter cult. There is truth. There is error. There is right. There is wrong. There is what's true and there is what's false. Okay? countercultural. It was then, it is now. Who are you to tell me that my feelings aren't legitimate? That's how we talk. We're at a place where we don't even say, I think, we just say, I feel. And so, if we don't even know it, we're being trained. We're being trained, and some of you are thinking this way, and I, I wish it weren't so. I literally have prayed for you, even if not by name today. That this would be a breakthrough moment. Even, even us hearing preaching, it carries authority with it. Not mine, but from the text. You're being programmed by our culture to have that be wrong. And I, I know that. but there are things that are true and things that are not true. I was talking to someone just this morning about gravity. You can say you don't feel gravity is true, but if you're a pilot, I'm not going to fly on your plane. We know there are things that are true and not true. We have someone who came to earth who was crucified by death experts And three days later, bodily was raised from the grave before eyewitnesses, and he himself interpreted the meaning of it. I'm going with him. But it's gonna, it's gonna rub me the wrong way because I'm a product of my culture around me that wants to say many paths lead there. Well, if I'm a Christian, I don't reject Christ. And for me to affirm many paths lead there would cause me to deny Christ. It would just cause me to not be a Christian. We're putting all our eggs in this basket if we're Christians. And it's a great thing. But it's always going to be threatened and attacked and we've got to be sober-minded and clear-headed about it. Restoration, by the way, in our text, he wants restoration. That assumes deviation. Again, countercultural to think that anything can be deviant. He's calling them out for deviant behavior, but he's calling them back to what's good and right. 
One more thing about that, I promise. It seems nicer when, when, when I say, well, this is, this is my truth. It seems nicer at first. But if then I claim to be a leader, I own you. You are my pawn to be manipulated. This is my truth. God spoke to me and gave me this new special insight. And, and, and I know it's true because it's true in my heart. And, and now if I become a teacher, now I'm going to impose my truth on you. And now I'm an awesome cult leader. And you are a sucker. The truth external, outside of the Apostle Paul, referring to the work of Christ, referring to something that is objective, that doesn't change. And it can be evaluated. It can be studied. It can be critiqued. It can be objected to. It can be debated with. And Christians say, we affirm that. It's actually more freeing. It's more freeing because my authority here today is only servant authority. Okay? It's what Christians ages ago called ministerial authority. I have no authority in your life, okay? Other than the authority of God's word, so I'm going to do my best to preach it in context before you, even to be good Bereans, the Bible would say, and evaluate it to see if it's true based upon what you see in the Bible. Let's move on to number five. Number five, the final feature. Okay, I know it's attached to chapter uh, uh, 10, 11 and 12, so it does relate, but it's going to sound a lot more pleasant because it relates to the whole book, okay? So final feature, final aspect is a fitting conclusion. This is a fitting conclusion to a hard-hitting book, a hard-hitting chapter. Verse 11 says, if you look there with me, finally, brothers, rejoice. And at first I go, that's out of left field. Finally, rejoice. And you're like, I remember one time years and years ago, the person who led the music that night isn't here anymore, so I'll talk about them. Um, nobody's feelings can be heard by it. But we weren't on the same page. We weren't talking. And I preached the hardest hitting sermon I could possibly imagine about wrath and condemnation because it was from the book of Revelation, probably chapter 19. And it was like, you know, I, it was just one, you got to do it because it fits the, 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 the feel and the sense. And then it was like some kind of 1940s happy in Jesus song afterward. <laughs> I was like, and I had relatives visiting who hated every moment of the sermon. And then they critiqued the music because it didn't fit. I was just like, I wanted to die. Anyway, at first this kind of feels that way. Because you're like, boom, 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 both guns blazing, spiritually speaking. And hey, everybody, be happy. You're like, what? It's a capstone to the whole book. And the other reality is, rejoice. You can have the right kind of attitude and a certain kind of supernatural internal happiness that transcends circumstances because you're resting in the powerful work of Christ, the finished work of Christ, believer, and you know that it's true, even though your church has been plagued with all of these hardships and it's been difficult, you're trusting in a God who will, who will lead you to persevere. And so you know what? Even in the midst of all this, you don't even know how it's all going to fall out yet. He can say this. I got to tell you to rejoice. I got to tell you to think beyond. Think bigger. Maybe that's a good way to put it. 
I got to tell you, rejoice. Then he goes on to say, aim for restoration. Again, not ignoring everything you just heard, but with the true believers. Restoration with Paul himself. Restoration with other believers who were repentant. Restoration with all true believers we're going to see in just a little while. Then he says, comfort one another. It's the word sometimes translated, encourage one another. I think that kind of fits a little bit better in, 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 for my preference in this sense. Encourage one another, right? Encourage one another if you're on the fence. Encourage one another if you've just come out of that and you need some help. Encourage one another if you've been fighting this battle and you've been at the forefront of leading this back to orthodoxy, back inside the box. Encourage one another. And you could say comfort one another. But the reality is this happens by looking at the true Christ. So encourage one another. That's super helpful. Agree with one another. Again, about agreeable things. He's basically saying you don't agree with those guys, but boy, we sure have a lot in common. Agree with one another. Live in peace. That's complimenting, agreeing with one another. Not like the prophet Jeremiah would say, peace, peace where there is no peace. But we live in peace with one another who agree about the truth of Christ because Christians have the gospel. So we have this amazing transcendent peace. I was having a lighthearted conversation before the sermon about disagreeing over something. And I said, isn't it great that we both have Christ and we can agree on that? We laughed and said, it is. So much diversity, so much distinction, so many differences, and yet peace because we have peace with God commonly in Christ. This is a great thing for us to build unity. Then he goes on to say, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So there's divine approval. You want approval from God. There's a way you can know you have approval from God. Verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. I didn't do that before the service in a lighthearted conversation. Earnest Christian love, right? Genuineness, probably tied to their culture. I've been in other cultures where it's a common thing. I'm thankful it's not in ours. Verse 13, all the saints greet you. Got to stop just for a second on that one. All the saints greet you? How, don't miss this, how could he say, all the saints greet you? Saint is the word for holy one, okay? He addresses the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians as saints, okay? So this is not, saints aren't dead super Christians, okay? Saints are those who are set apart unto God because of the work of Christ. This is how a really bad person could, like the Corinthians, by the way, in 1 Corinthians, how they could be addressed as saints because it's not based upon what they have accomplished, but it's based upon what Christ has accomplished, so they're called saints, okay? So here, how could Paul say, all the saints greet you? Because he knows that all true Christians would greet those Christians because they're inside the box. There's unity. There's love. There's kindness. Every Christian on planet earth agrees with the true gospel. So he's affirming and encouraging them saying, you know, I can, I can say this to you. All, all saints greet you. I think that's super cool. All the diversity, all the differences. How, I mean, in one sense, I want to say to the Apostle Paul, you can't say that. How dare you speak for me? (laughs) You can say it. If we all agree on the gospel, all Christians agree to this. So all all Christians greet you. We have a great fellowship. 
We have a great fellowship. And not only can he confidently speak on behalf of all other Christians, he's going to speak on behalf of the triune God. Verse 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gutsy putting Christ first. He's doing it on purpose. Not because Christ is better, but because he's equal. But that would rattle some cages. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Awesome. Trinitarian closing. And again, how in the world could he say that? He could say that because he knows that the gospel is Trinitarian and he knows that the truth he's been telling about Jesus is the truth God himself would affirm. God is for them in this. It's really amazing. I say, God help us to know the gospel so that we might rest in the finished work of Christ, to promote the gospel because it is good news, but to be so committed to that gospel because of what God has done for us that we would be willing, even if it means being countercultural, to defend it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a great letter like this. Use it appropriately in the life of this church and in the life of others uh, that we might love Christ more, that we might see that it's significant and important to protect the gospel when it's being threatened. Uh, Lord, help us to, to be very tolerant people where appropriate. In some ways, God, help us to be the most tolerant people on planet Earth, but not where it's inappropriate, where people are being spiritually hurt. Help us to not be those kinds of people in the name of something that is supposedly nice. Bless us and encourage us, even by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.